So they need to have that sense that something here gets easier and then something can be built up. I think that's the key to reframing, but it has to be seen by their intellect that they're really convinced that there is a skill or an ideal that answers the situation that really is them thriving in that challenge. And so you have to work sometimes with people until they get a real clear image of what thriving in the challenge really means. Hey, this is Sharif here with another episode of The Golden Hour, joined by Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, good to be back here with you. Hey, Sharif, it's great to be back. Yeah, Kevin, well, uh, I thought it would be great for us to revisit one of our core concepts, which is reframing, or core concept or skill, you might say. And I know you recently gave a couple talks on this topic, uh, so it's fresh in your mind. So I th and So I thought we could get kind of your latest thoughts on how to do reframing really well, what exactly reframing is. How's that sound for a topic? Sounds great. Okay. Well, uh, maybe one place to start, an interesting place, is with uh, a study on reframing. I think this came out a number of years ago uh, by uh, Jeremy Jameson. Mm -hmm. So this, I, I don't know where this stands in kind of uh, the literature on reframing did he even use the words that what they're doing is reframing so uh but maybe you could just talk us a little bit about that to us a little bit about that study and then how that influenced your view of reframing and how that's changed the perspective on reframing in cbt yeah so just to begin i'd say that reframing is the c in cbt so cbt is cognitive behavioral therapy and the cognitive therapy part I think is really reframing. So many times when people have been through cognitive therapy, they associate it with doing thought records. And so the idea of a thought record is that you, okay, you have some thought, you know, like, um, you know, I don't know, you'd say, you know, Robert must be mad at me. He's, you know, he's not returning my calls. So he, you know, he must be mad at me. And then you think, uh, okay, well, what's the evidence you have in favor of that? What's the evidence you have against it? And then how do you come up with the more balanced alternative thought? And as people practice this, they start to see their thoughts in a different way. And it may not really be because they're coming up with some alternate balanced thought that they feel differently about it. It's just whenever a negative thought comes up, they start to see this as an opportunity for practice. It's like, ooh, here's a great one. This is really pushing my emotional buttons. So I'm going to practice this one. And then they write it down, they do all these things with it. Because you don't really need to come up with this alternate balanced thought. You just need a new way of relating to the thought itself. So in some ways, reframing is what always happens when people get good at thought records, is that they see their thoughts as something for learning and growth and practice. So they reframe the very, the very occurrence of negative thoughts. And you can just teach this to people directly and teach them how to reframe a negative experience. So what Jeremy Jameson did was really was really brilliant because he had all these Harvard seniors who are gonna take the GRE. And if you're planning on grad school, you're gonna want the highest score possible in the GRE. And he knew that if they gave them a practice GRE, that this could already produce some nervousness, some anxiety. And then they'd be able to do an intervention right before they take the test to reframe that nervousness. 
And when they did that, they could, at the same time, they, at the end, measure how much adrenaline was still in their system at the end of the test. It's a cool thing because the amount of adrenaline you have in your body is easily measurable in your saliva. There's something called salivary alpha amylase, which just really it has a very close correlation to, to adrenaline. So it, uh, that's what they're able to use. So he did the study, and half of the students were given a reframing statement saying, look, you might be nervous. I'm just going to paraphrase. I won't give the whole thing. But you might be nervous about this upcoming GRE you're going to do. Uh, and you might think that that would hurt your performance. However, recent research suggests that it, yeah, that, that arousal will actually help you to perform better. So when you notice yourself getting nervous, just know this is your body helping you to perform better. Just a simple statement like that was enough to make, uh, it was something like a 55-point increase in their score on the math GRE, this is out of 800, uh, on the practice test. And the cool thing was that the group that had done the reframing actually had higher adrenaline at the end. Then, and so the group that was trying to, who didn't know how to reframe, they were never told about reframing adrenaline, they were presumably trying to calm themselves down. And they were kind of good at it. They kind of probably did get themselves calmer. But that took an edge out of their performance, it seems. Uh, and then they look at their actual GRE performance, which was like within three months, uh, to see you know, when they took the real GRE, what was the difference? Those who didn't reframe were ended up in the 91st percentile nationwide for math. And these are, you know, uh, Ivy League students, so it's not totally surprising. But the reframing group was at the 97th percentile. That's an enormous jump. Almost, I mean, so just from one intervention, and they're randomized and controlled, and so they really didn't know. Um, you know, the group that didn't you know learn about reframing just didn't know what they're missing out on. So it's really fascinating, I think, to have proof of the power of reframing and how it increases your ability to perform at your best as long as you have a positive appraisal of it. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, a couple questions jumped to mind. So the first one is that at the beginning of your answer, you talked about how you reframe thoughts, uh, whereas in Jeremy Jameson, you're reframing this feeling or the, the sensation of adrenaline or the adrenaline itself. So it's kind of a different thing being reframed. So I wonder if you could speak to that. And then the second thing is that um, when we talk about reframing, we're often talking about reframing in terms of growth, learning, practice, ideals. So I wonder if you could talk about uh, when, well, is that part of the conception of reframing in CBT? If so, like when did that arise? How does that relate to Jameson's study? Or if, if not, if it's kind of your addition? Yeah. So this is the difference between what's called CBT uh, or second wave cognitive behavioral therapy, the first wave being Skinner. So uh, like the first wave was good for understanding rodent behavior. Uh, the, the second wave was really the cognitive revolution and learning how to work with negative thoughts in a new way. And Aaron Beck had the original idea that all disorders of mood are first disorders of thought. So if you can improve how they're thinking and get rid of their cognitive distortions, then you will improve their mood. And what the third wave, the next one I th did was look at the, what, I'm what I've been talking about now, which is maybe it wasn't so much dealing with the content of those thoughts and coming up with rational alternate balanced thoughts that was really doing the mood work. 
Maybe it was that they were just seeing their thoughts as some kind of new opportunity, that their relationship with the thoughts was changed so that they could see those thoughts in a new context. And so some call this the functional revolution or the contextual revolution, but this is what's behind what are called the third wave therapies of CBT. Third wave means that in part, that they're not looking at the content of the thought at all. They're just looking at the function of it and the context of it. And re reframing is widening the context in which you see the thought. They don't really, I have to say, go into that much detail on what I just, you know, this definition of reframing. I think that's something that I've come up with from my stu you know, study of, of the field. But, uh, but they would, I think, agree with that if they were to hear it that reframing is a widening of a context. And the, if you want to look up anything about acceptance and commitment therapy, which is one of the biggest forms of the third wave of CBT, the website is contextualsciences.org. So it, the, the idea of context being central is really important. So then anytime you recontextualize anything, that would be a kind of a reframe of it. And so it could be the adrenaline itself that you see in a new light. Uh, it could be like the example we often use uh, is if people are uh, doing weightlifting, that they will get soreness from damage really to their muscles and connective tissue that occurs during the weightlifting. And you could have a negative view of that soreness. But if you understand what's going on more, you know, like more fully, you widen your view. So it's not just the discomfort, but it's the real thing of what really is happening here. You see, oh, this is the process of rupture and repair that actually makes the muscle stronger. So you see it in a new light, and then it can feel like a good soreness. If you know it's working good, it's, it feels actually much better. And so that, that idea that the soreness can, just by knowing that it's healthy, can change how you experience it is an example of reframing. So I hope that answers both your questions. But reframing can apply to anything. Uh, and so anything you put in a new context. There you go. Killed two birds with one stone. Pretty good, Kevin. Uh, okay. My next question is you mentioned um, briefly that the content doesn't matter. The content of the thought or the thing doesn't matter, which immediately kind of gets me thinking of, okay, is this a, just a subjective thing or is, is there an objective reality element? And uh, I asked this because a lot of times an objection that we get to reframing is okay. You're trying to reframe a situation, and the person, no, it, what I'm dealing with is objectively bad. It can't be reframed. Like my boss is just too demanding. They email me at one in the morning and they expect me to reply within 15 minutes. I mean, this is just how can I reframe that? I, it's, it's too much. So, so they say, Oh, do you think I should reframe that? Like it's a good opportunity for me to learn how to get by with way less sleep or how to, you know, be, be a better, e better at emails, email, uh, email responsiveness. And so, so how do you deal with, okay, there might be something objectively bad, but then reframing is still an objective thing that you're widening the context and seeing it in a new light. Yeah. So this also happens when people are, are objectively in, in a threatening or abusive situation. So if you're, so if you're dealing with someone who is being abused, right? By, by somebody, you know, you would not, I think, 
first of all, you don't like, it's not our role really just to give them the advice anyway, you know, and to say, oh, just do this. Although I think we would strongly urge them to, be, to do the safest thing. Um, but from a purely reframing point of view, you'd ask them the question, really, what is the best response you could have in this situation? Like, what would, to think of uh, someone you know who you think would respond really well to this. What would they do? And undoubtedly, if you work with them, you'll see they would get out. They would get safe. You know, and so I think we, we like people to see this on their own. You know, that just saying that I just have to like stick with some situation and just, you know, reframe it misunderstands reframing. You know, that reframing has to be taking in the whole person as the context, which includes their safety, their mental and physical well-being, and their ability to thrive. So if a situation really doesn't allow you to thrive, well, I, I don't think that reframing is about how do you make that situation then, you know, well, maybe you could do something. Maybe you could come up with more creative ways of responding to unreasonable requests. But I think I would also want them to see, like, what are if they were to be really creative, what other solutions could they come up with? So they can maybe they need to find a new job. So then that and that certainly should be on the table. And so I know sometimes when you get into specific situations, people might think that they're unworkable. Like, there's nothing I could do differently. You might have them see if they could get advice then from other people that they know and trust. And do these people also agree that, yeah, you have to stay and it's just awful. I mean, I just can't imagine that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's very interesting. So now you mentioned this idea of think about what would be the best reaction in this situation. So you're, you're going from the situation now to your response to it. And you also mentioned earlier that reframing is about widening the context. So the connection between those two things to me is not immediately apparent is how is just flipping the flipping your view of it from, hey, why is this situation good or bad to then how should I respond? What's the best thing I can do? How is that a way of widening the context? Yeah. So the context in this sense is their, their level of skill, their level of virtue. So if they had particular skill sets turned higher like imagine there's a dial that they could just start turning up with with different skills could they respond to the situation in a better way think of the people who would respond very well to this situation then think of what are the skills and the ideals that they're aiming for so what would they be so the idea of a widening the context means the possibilities of your growth so that you don't give into a fixed mindset for yourself or the situation you know, and again, if there's objectively unsafe ones, then people I think should get out. But if it's not objectively unsafe, you know, then think, is there a way that you could grow? You know, because you can't always control the situation or need to control the situation. But then thinking of the context of your growth. And you can always grow by deepening a skill or deepening in your pursuit of an ideal or deepening a bond. So the real substance of reframing are skills, ideals, and bonds. That's what we want to get to, to think of. Then people can start to be a little bit more positive because then they can start to think that, okay, if I were practicing a given skill, yeah, there would be discomfort at first, but that discomfort would gradually get less and less and less the more practice I got. 
And then the skill would grow and grow and grow with the practice I got. So they need to have that sense that something here gets easier and then something can be built up. I think that's the key to reframing, but it has to be seen by their intellect that they're really convinced that there is a skill or an ideal that answers the situation that really is them thriving in that challenge. And so you would have to work sometimes with people until they get a real clear image of what thriving in the challenge really means. And then to start planning practically, how do you get those skills? Sometimes the only skill people need is to aim for something positive while being patient with the discomfort, letting themselves be mindful of the discomfort as they still continue to aim to do the positive thing. It's like a large part of say the ideal of generosity is being patient with whatever the discomfort is, keeping your eye on the bond, keeping your eye on doing the best you can for this person and really giving your best. So then that's how you reframe the situation. I see. So uh, in one sense, you, you might also say that the widening of the context is you're starting, the narrowest focus might be your experience of the situation. And that's the here and now, how you experience it. And then you widen it to your skills, the growth in, in skills, virtues, bonds. And that's something that then takes place over time. So you're widening the context in terms of time and in terms of what's being shaped in the situation. That's all, that's all exactly right. Um, another way of viewing it is that the narrow context is always a left brain context, which is expediency or comfort. And so it's just looking, and then that's where all challenges are only obstacles or things that slow you down. And they're things that stop you from doing it in a routine, fast, quick way. And so anything that goes against expediency or comfort, you know, is going to violate this narrow context in some way and seem to be a threat. The right brain is able to have a trajectory of growth as part of its goal. Who are the people that you're serving here? You know, what are the ideals you want to bring here? How can you change and develop through this? So I think the right brain view of the situation always is the wide one. And the left brain is the narrow one. Gotcha. So uh, now s someone might be listening to this and say, hey, okay, reframing sounds pretty good. But uh, what, what are the consequences of not reframing? Uh, what, or what, what are the alternative ways that in your experience and your, you know, your clinical experience or mentor, mentoring experience or just life, how do people respond if they're, they don't reframe and what are kind of the pitfalls people, you know, get into with, with those approaches? Yeah. If, so I think a very common thing that people do is they distract themselves with a positive consideration. So let's say that you have someone who is dreading uh, having to have a conversation with his boss, you know, because the boss is just a bully in these situations, although not objectively unsafe. Uh, then, um, but you might think, but afterwards I'm going on vacation. So I just need to have this one conversation Then I'm on vacation. So I'm just, so whenever he starts dreading the conversation with the boss, he just shifts his view to the vacation that's going to come after. The problem with that is it can work for very time-limited things. You can distract yourself with something else. But in general, distraction as a coping technique doesn't work when the trial is longer. So if it's going to be, if, so if it's, 
it's if it's a longer thing that the person is dealing with. Well, just thinking about it in the vacation, well, that's not going to work after the vacation. Now you come back and now what? So you're going to need like another thing to be distracting yourself with to look forward to. So in, in optimal work lingo, we always call this substitution. That rather than just thinking of the negative thing, you just try to substitute a positive thing. And it's really playing in a sense with your attention, deliberately shifting your attention to something positive. But that's not an act of the intellect. So reframing is an, an intellectual discovery. It's a vision, a sight that is more complete and more true and that includes in it a trajectory of growth so that the positive thing you're pursuing gets stronger and stronger. And there's a habituation of the discomfort that gradually gets less and less and less. But only the right brain can think in terms of trajectories like that. So the, um, the other like common mistake when it comes to reframing is to think that it relies on saying a formula. The people who have heard us talk about this, you know, hear the phrase, bring it on, or uh, even better, uh, is the more the better. Now, it's true that if you can say of a challenge, bring it on, the more the better, you, you, if you can really see that, you've reframed it. But the problem is people sometimes just rely on saying the word in their head. And this is a very common left brain thing. The left brain loves to take something and make it rote and to make it, in a sense, merely verbal. And so it just, and so like your le the left brain version of reframing is saying the words in your head, bring it on, the more the better. If you think in terms of internal faculties, that would turn reframing really into an act of the imagination. It's this imaginary voice in your head saying these imaginary words that you hear with your imaginary ears. But reframing is an act of the intellect, not the imagination. So that can't be. So it has to be that reframing is a genuine discovery. So it's a, it's a new way of viewing something. Um, but we can get so kind of fused or blended with the situation we're in that we just don't take the time to step back and see, oh, wait, this is something I need to reframe. And then patiently work through, okay, what would be a skill or some ideal that would be like an image of thriving right now? And then aim for that. So there is, I think, a kind of, um, in order to practice reframing, we need a certain kind of habitual mindfulness, which might best be called mindfulness of the heart. So to be mindful of like what is going on right now inside of me, it's like an interior dimension to our personality where you can just simply be aware of what's happening within you. And so the easiest way is just being aware of what kind of, what kind of affections are just passing through your heart at any given moment. Like which ways are its energies turning? And as you get aware of that, you can become aware of, okay, now is there something here I need to reframe? You know, is there, is there, is there like, is there turbulence within me? And then you can learn to practice reframing it. So reframing re does require, like reframing on the fly requires a, ha a habitual mindfulness so that you can detect when you need to and have a little bit of distance from the immediacy of your situation. So you're able to take that step back and then reframe. So if you can practice doing small actions more deliberately, 
and just being like aware of like the status of like what's going on inside of you as you do those small actions, you can start to learn to have more inroads into the possibility of reframing. Hmm. Well, Kevin, I think that's a very helpful, beautiful idea, this mindfulness of the heart. So I think we're out of time on right now for, for today, unfortunately, but maybe that's something we can do a whole follow-up episode on because it seems like a very good thing for us to explore in the future. I think that'd be a great idea. Great to Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. Great talking to you. And uh, we'll be back next week. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.